Most of the uh, major motion pictures nominated for this year's Oscars or Academy Awards had to do with relationships. So, for example, the film Brooklyn dealt with the classic romantic relationship and a woman who had to choose between two men. Uh, another film, Spotlight, dealt with the perversion, the, the gross perversion of romantic relationships. The film Revenant, the Revenant dealt largely with the relationship between uh, man and nature, uh, made famous by Leo and a, and a famous bear uh, in the movie, apparently. I didn't see it. The film Room, another Academy Award nomination, dealt with a relationship between a mom, a parent, and her child, so a parental relationship. And you may notice that one kind of love, one kind of relationship is missing here, right? Friendship, you could cheat by seeing it on your bulletin. But if you didn't see it there, you may not know because it is, it is the least necessary and least natural of all relationships we have, which makes it all the more sweeter when it's present. Friendship. You don't have to have friendship to propagate society or to, to show love to a person in this bond of marriage. You don't have to have friendship, and it makes it all the more sweeter when it happens. And we know that society doesn't necessarily say, hey, we value, we exalt friendship. Think about when you open your web browser or your favorite news app, what do you see there? You see who is sleeping with who, right? Or who is dating who. And, and, and we also sometimes see who, as a result of sleeping with someone else, is having a baby. And this sort of thing is very newsworthy. No one opens their web browser and sees, guess who's friends with who, right? No, no one sees, right? Guess who became best friends? Denzel Washington and Matt Damon seen golfing together. Friendship, <laughs> right? We just aren't interested in that sort of thing as a society, nor are we interested in it usually as a church. So, for example, we have marriage weekends for people to grow their marriage. We have orientation for new parents who are doubt to dedicate their children and help strengthen them as new parents. Who ever heard, though, of friendship retreats? I, I've been in local churches many years. I've never heard in a local church of a friendship retreat, right, where you and your bestie get 20% off for signing up together, right? And you go off, you go off into the woods, you do a trust fall, Right? You head off to the high ropes course, you do the spider web together, you share a bunk. Who gets the top one? Who gets the bottom one? Yay! Right? Usually we don't think of having friendship events and nothing else. And you're sitting there maybe saying, we, maybe we should. But the reason we, there's a reason we don't. One reason is because it's exclusive. Right? You, you might think, wait, Neil, I, I thought you and I were, oh, but you and Tian are going together. Oh, I see, okay. So, oh, totally, I understand. No, no, no big deal. I'll just, I'll just find someone else, you know. Right? We don't, we, don't, we don't want to alienate anyone, but you don't want to go on a friendship retreat because you don't want to think by signing up, I'm going to make a friend. Right? The church isn't by having a friendship retreat saying, hey, guess what? Guess what, Karen? If I go on this retreat, I get a friend. We can't guarantee that sort of thing, which is what makes friendship unique. Friendship happens. It's rarely sought or found. In his book, Examining the Four Different Kinds of Loves that We Experience as Human Beings, uh, C.S. Lewis explained that uh, this type of a phileo or friendship often begins with something like this. What? You too? Oh, I thought I was the only one. And so a friendship takes off. 
That's how a friendship begins. Without you or I even calling it a friendship, we just enjoy getting together because we enjoy something together. That is what's so sweet about a friendship. More than any other book in the Bible, Proverbs talks about friendship and about the gift that a friendship can be. So we could talk about getting a friend or making a friend. Or we could talk about being a friend. Now, I'm going to choose being a friend for two reasons. Number one, we discussed last week the wisdom of the sweetness of speech, the wisdom of generosity, which can take an acquaintance and often make them into a godly friend. But secondly, it would be a moot point to talk about getting a friend. Because the last thing you do is ask someone to be your friend. That's not how friendship works. And I want to say this very tenderly and sweetly and sensitively because many of us desire more friendships or a friend. Maybe we've just moved here. We want a faithful friend. But you don't get a friendship by asking someone, will you be my friend? That's not how it works. From the, from the perspective of the person being asked, it's like, oh, oh, this could be needy. This sounds like a dependency is happening. So what do you do then if you want to make a friend? Live what you love to the fullest. If you live what you love to the fullest, you're going to find a friend. The friendships are missed because of empty lives that are looking to be filled like a cup with friendship itself. By having someone you could call a friend, and that will fill my cup. But it's usually actually the way you, you drive. You can end up driving people away. Don't worry, I'm going to give you some hope for that in a minute. But here's the definition of a friend then. Friends are those who are faithfully there for you because they want to, not because they have to. Friends are those faithfully there for you because they want to, not because they have to. So parents have to, right? We've been given this gift to steward, to care for, to love. We have to. Uh, Relatives have to, as we're going to see in our Proverbs here in a little bit. A teammate or schoolmate may demonstrate qualities of a friend, but when the team or the school disappears, we may realize later that the tie that binded us was really the team or schoolmate. They were companions, and that's okay, but they weren't lasting friends. A generous boss, a faithful pastor or leader, an inspiring teacher, a thoughtful colleague, all might display the characteristics of a friend, and very well might be, but they prove it, right, when the contract is done, when, when the membership isn't there anymore, when you're not next to them in the cubicle when the desk goes away and they show, oh yeah, I still want to know you and be with you and do life with you. Proverbs talks about then this kind of friend, who friends who are there for you because they want to, not because they have to. Talks actually about three types of friends, all of which we're going to discuss this morning. Fake friends, frustrating friends, and faithful friends. So we're going to look at all three. Fake friends, okay, frustrating friends, and faithful friends. So first, are you a fake friend? This book of wisdom, Proverbs, sheds light upon two things that a fake friend does. First of all, a fake friend uses. A fake friend uses. Look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 4. It's going to say in your bulletin, 16, verse 21, that's a misprint. It's, uh, let's read that together, though. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Proverbs 19, verse 4. Now, we spoke on Easter Sunday about how, because of sin, the starting point for every human relationship is usefulness. I'll bring something to the table if you bring something to the table, and a relationship can begin. We want relationships to be useful. So, arguably, the most useful means to things we want, notoriety, comfort, pleasure, and the good life, when those become available, it's because of wealth. 
And when you get wealth, new friends start to pop up. They start to come around a little more and a little more. And they're going to gather for even a few scraps of your relationship. And it's not always the money itself. It's sort of the allure, isn't it? The allure of the lifestyle rubbing off on you, the house in which you get to hang, the clothes, the, the spa treatment aura around that person, the cool factor that is enhanced usually by money, which you have, but many of us don't, and most of us want to be around in some way, shape, or form. So ask yourself, am I friends with this person for them or because their wealth somehow elevates me, how I feel about myself? It maybe gives you a little bit of hope that their success will rub off on you or you can experience new pleasures from time to time that you wouldn't get to experience otherwise or you'll actually materially benefit maybe from a job or something else or a connection. A fake friend uses. And because the sin which we're all born, with which we're all born, makes us tend towards using. All of us are prone to this, using, this, this allure, especially of wealth. I know I'm not immune. In fact, I think God has made me a pastor and came in. One of the reasons God has made me a pastor and came in is that I'm not somewhere that someone in my congregation has tickets to their local American sports team. Right? I, all the sports I love, admittedly, most of them are U.S.-centric sports. And if I was somewhere in the U.S., I would feel like I would certainly know in the church who has tickets, and I would be tempted constantly to cozy up to them. I'm just being straight with you. So when I lived in Chicago, the general manager for the Chicago Bears started to attend our church for a little bit. And his daughter, for a few times, attended our youth group. And I knew this was coming. Like, he was starting to attend. He had mentioned his daughter was going to start to attend. Yet he was the general manager for a major sports franchise that I loved. So I purposely avoided any extended conversations with her. <laughs> I was way too tempted. I didn't want her to talk t- to me and actually, like, like me. I was like, you know, she could respect me from afar, all right? But if I get into this, it could be a problem. Turns out that people like me more when I talk to them less. So I didn't realize that until later, but would have been helpful. But you get the point, right? It's so easy to have that allure of the cool factor, that the, the spa allure around a person and you just want to be around them. A fake friend uses, but a fake friend also flatters. Chapter 20, verse 19. Do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. So there exists in our world today, right, so many networks and thus so many possibilities to be like a mini-celebrity and thus temptations to elevate our own image, our own brand, if you will. And so it's legit to ask, are we friends with this person because they're our friend or because we're mutual admiration societies. Like, that's how our, we operate. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. Social media totally exacerbates this, right? Cheap likes, nice comments on Facebook page, which ought not to factor, by the way, into the quality of a friendship. So don't, please don't deceive yourself into thinking when you get that mouse button or you get that click and you're thinking, man, I'm being a good friend here. I'm going to like that, what they said. I'm going to be a good friend here. I'm going to comment say, that's so true, smiley face party popper. Right? When, when you tag someone in a picture to say, man, I really appreciate you, that should not be the measure of the quality of a friendship. In fact, you might have just tried to, to make the person like you, to flatter them. I was at a wedding reception once and overheard a man being introduced to, to an admittedly beautiful woman. All right? And... When he was introduced to her, he replied, I don't know how old you are, but 
you surely don't look it. <laughs> that is like the, the, the greatest flattery I've ever heard. I don't know how old you are, but you don't look it. Like, well, that's clearly not a genuine comment. And maybe our comments don't kind of get to that extreme. But, but listen to yourself sometimes for, for speech without compliment, without specifics. Compliments without specifics. So if you say to someone, man, always, you know, man, you're the best. Here's one I love. You're a legend. I've learned that from some of my South African friends. You're my hero. Or just like, I, I just appreciate you so much. It's okay to say all of those things, of course. But notice, do, do they ever have specifics with them? If not, you may just be flattering someone. You may just be trying to get them to sort of like you and think you're just kind of a good person. So listen to yourself for, for compliments without specifics. You don't want to be a fake friend. So secondly, are you a frustrating friend? Are you a frustrating? This, you're, this is someone who, who is absolutely a friend, tried and true, but by the pit of she-hole, you are frustrating. <laughs> a, a, a frustrating friend is, first of all, someone who knows no boundaries. Like you don't have necessarily boundaries in the friendship. Let's look at first at Proverbs 25 or 17. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Like, that's an actual problem. Like, like some of you are like, amen. Hope you're listening to this, Bob. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house lest he have his fill of you and hate you. One reason we appreciate friends so much is because of their generosity, right? But we need to understand every act of generosity is a sacrifice. Now, I may be a sacrifice for your friend to make that's, that's worth making, but it is a sacrifice. In fact, the word translated here in Proverbs 25, verse 17, be scarce or here be seldom, comes from the root, precious, valuable, costly. That's interesting because it's saying that just as your presence is valuable, it communicates love, so does their receiving you. All right? Both are valuable. It's like game recognizing game, some of the kids like to say today. I see your hospitality. I see the time you're giving. I see your generosity. So I'm going to act like my presence is valuable and costly also. So I'm going to make it scarce. It also is valuable. So even when they seem content, don't overspend your time. Even when the person seems content, like we're having a good time together, be be wise, don't overspend. Staying three hours every time you visit with the person. Going to 11 p.m. or after every time you have dinner with them. And you're just chatting away. If they always are having to say, oh, boy, I really got to get up early in the morning, that's probably a sign. Phone conversations that go past five minutes, right? Play dates where they're always the first one to excuse themselves, right? It's like, oh, we, I got to get her back for her nap, right? That might be a sign. Wisdom says don't overindulge when it seems everyone is having the same good time I am. Let me say that again. Wisdom says don't overindulge when it seems like everyone's having the same good time that I am. I mean, not true. Be honest with yourself. Am I generally a talkative person? Do I generally feel at home wherever I go? Do I have more leisure time than many people have for whatever good reason that might be? This probably then is wisdom for you. You might be prone to this. You don't want to be a frustrating friend. Look at this, this proverb as well, Proverbs 26, 18 through 19. Like a madman mad who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Now, this image is pretty comical at first, right? It's first a comical scene. There's this madman who's just shooting 
right? Into the air, whatever he could find around him, almost like a seven-year-old boy, like, whoa, 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 whoa. And we kind of that kind of funny, like Yosemite Sam-like, into the air. When all of a sudden, what they shoot pierces someone in the back. And it's like, oh, why did you do that? And as the person's getting it out of their back, you say, well, what? I was only joking. Right? That can be a frustrating friend. Because when you act like that, you just don't want to be around the person. You don't know when they're going to throw something at you, throw a public barb, a public shot. This proverb isn't anti-humor, by the way, but it's for many of us who are maybe smart, maybe you're quick-witted, maybe you're, you just like to be funny, but whose words, especially your humor, knows no boundaries. A friend knows how far they can tread without crushing you. A friend knows how far they can go without crushing you. When they go too far, they quickly apologize. That's a faithful friend. If you're the beginning of a friendship, a good rule of thumb for any of you who enjoy humor, stick with self-deprecation. Stick with making fun of yourself. If you want to throw barbs, don't shoot them up in the air. Shoot them right here, all right? Make fun of yourself. No one gets hurt with self-deprecation except, of course, you. (laughs) But then you're not harming your neighbor. You're dying to self. A frustrating friend, then, knows no boundaries, but a frustrating friend is also critical. Look at chapter 11, verse 12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Now, a neighbor is the most general term you can use in Proverbs that our author Solomon uses in Proverbs for a person. So we have a fool, we have a simple person, we have a friend, we have a brother. But a neighbor is sort of a very general term that can mean anyone. So here, the frustration isn't necessarily with the friend belittling you. It's with a friend who just belittles anyone. It's the kind of person that's generally just critical. Do you know that kind of person? Like, do you, do you have maybe that kind of friend? Well, let's look honestly and think, are we that kind of friend? This is someone who has an opinion on nearly everything and feels like they need to express it. So let me ask this question. Are you able to have an unarticulated thought? Something comes to mind, and it's really, you feel like, man, this would be just great to say. It would really just improve our relationship. It would get things going. It would get the conversation moving. But do you ever not articulate it? That is wisdom. Social media feeds the idea that we need to articulate it, right? The, the false societal ideal of expression of self. Or even that phrase we often like to use of, hey, I'm just being honest. All these things exacerbate this idea that if I have a thought, I need to express it no matter what it is. And oftentimes, we don't notice it's critical. Look again, by the way, at the proverb. By the way, proverbs, interestingly enough, right, they're, they're like the uh, Bible's Twitters. I said last week that these short little statements of wisdom you can carry around with you to use at any time. And they teach in a few different ways. Some proverbs teach by comparing two things and saying they're alike. Right, so in a little bit, we'll see as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Some proverbs build in each other, like the one we just read. Uh, Let your foot seldom be in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. So we make this statement, and then the, the, the instructor adds on to it. And some proverbs teach by giving you the opposite, or what's called the antithesis. This is the case here. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. And notice, the opposite of criticism isn't positivity, but choosing silence next often. You would think the opposite of the criticism is just being a bubbly person, just saying more encouraging things. But what wisdom says is it's actually talking less. The man of understanding remains silence. Silent. 
So if you're the kind of person who's analytical, you're observational, you're, you're critical of things, even in the best sense of that word, like you, you can look at something critically, I'm not asking you to change. Wisdom isn't asking you to change. God's asking you to change. But just start to practice holding your tongue for that first negative comment that comes to mind. Maybe I shouldn't articulate this one. Get into the discipline of just saying, you know what? This is the first comment. I'm going to let it pass. Because you don't want to be a frustrating friend. Finally, let's talk about what it means then to be a faithful friend. Proverbs talks about this the most. Proverbs highlights three characteristics of a faithful friend. First of all, a faithful friend sticks with you through thick and thin. A faithful friend sticks with you through thick and thin. Look at chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Also, Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So in 1717, the word translated there, brother, is literally relative, which makes sense, right? A family member will come to you to aid you in adversity, but they may not be around afterwards to have a beer with you. Right? A family member is going to be there. They're going to come. If you're in the hospital, you're gonna be, like, a family member is going to come. If you're on your deathbed, they're going to write you. They're going to call you. They're going to Skype you. They're going to even fly to be with you. But they may not be there with you when things get better because they don't do life in community with you. That's what a friend does. A family, right, shapes you when you're young. Our friends shape us in adulthood. Those with whom we do life in community, they stick close in thin times, yes, but also in the thick times, or even just the average everyday kind of stuff. So as a pastor, I can relate to this. There's so many of you who, for whom I, I've, I've tried to be there in adversity, or I will be there in adversity for sure. But there are few with whom, when they're outside of adversity, I'm checking in with every week, multiple times. Hey, what's going on? How you doing? Hey, here's something I noticed today. Here's an observation from life. That's what friends sort of do together. They, they pursue a common passion together. I just visited one of our uh, elders, Gordon McRae, who's in the hospital due to some complications with the surgery he had last year. And he's stable, he's talking, he's able to laugh, he's doing okay, but I know he would appreciate your prayers, uh, Gordon McRae would. To say he's dealing with adversity is definitely an understatement. But after he gave me some updates on how he's feeling and we, we prayed together, at his initiative, our conversation took to the NBA playoffs, to the professional basketball playoffs that have just started yesterday. Why, why is that? Well, he, he's in a hospital bed. He's sick. Why would we talk about something else? Because we're friends. A brother is born for adversity, but there's a friend who's close at all times, right? A friend loves at all times. That is the gift of friendship. If you find yourself then only reaching out to someone during adversity or the cruddy days, they may be a brother or sister in Christ. They may be a spiritual parent or a mentor, which is great, but they're not yet your friends, nor are you theirs. Praise reports, life observations, how you doing today, what's going on, updates, pursuing together a common passion, those are the things of friendships. A friendship, a friend then sticks with you. A friend also is safe. Look at Proverbs 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Now, now what does all this mean? First of all, oil was known in the ancient Near East for its health, and it was mixed with perfume so that healthiness would be attractive. It was like as a kid, I don't know if you had this, but remember the pink medicine? 
Do you remember the pink medicine you drink? I think it was, I think it was like amoxicillin or it was some type of penicillin or something. But it was, in a, it was pink. And man, it was so good. I don't know what happened to it. I don't see it around anymore. But you know what? Some of you know what I'm talking about. It was the pink medicine. Oh, I love that stuff. And that is what, what earnest counsel is like. What does this, all this have to do with earnest counsel? Well, counsel, interestingly, is a fascinating word. Totally fascinating. In Hebrew, it's the word atzat, which is the idea of secrets and advice combined. It's actually a military term. It's pretty cool. It, it, it's meant to envision two generals who are collaborating over secret plans. So this is the kind of friendship that Proverbs is talking about. Two generals coming together, collaborating over secret plans. One must risk divulging what he knows about the enemy, right? What he already knows, and be brutally honest for the sake of victory, right? So he comes and says, here's what I hear is going on in the battlefield. Here's what I hear is going on from our enemy. And now I'm just telling you. And as they collaborate, they have to say, oh, that's a bad plan. That's a bad plan of attack. That's the kind of thing earnest counsel means. It's risking openness without shrinking from advice. That is a great friendship. That is a faithful friendship. So like this past week, I was with a friend discussing God's design for marriage and the husband's role in it being one of self-sacrificial leadership, laying his life down for his spouse. And I was questioning the timing of when to challenge another husband about God's design for marriage. And my friend spoke up and said, hey, you need to do it right away. You need to talk with this husband about God's design for marriage right away. And then he began to risk opening up to me a little bit about his own views prior to someone else taking him to the Bible and showing him Jesus' example of laying his life down as a leader. And he spoke to me a little bit about how that wasn't really a part of his natural personality. His natural personality was to be a lot more passive, let others make decisions for him, not sort of be the first to step out and lead sacrificially. It was going against his own temperament. But at the same time, he was also resolute. Now, you've got to go talk to that person. I needed to hear that. You need to go talk to them. And whether his advice was right or not, who can do that but a faithful friend? Who can open up and in opening up say, hey, I really want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to take the step out and have that conversation. That's what it means to have earnest counsel. And that's what a faithful friend gives. A faithful friend also makes it easy to make each other better. A faithful friend makes it easy to make each other better. I was going to say a faithful friend makes it, makes, you know, you make one another better. But it's a little more than that. This proverb suggests something more. It's a very famous proverb, Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. The first iron mentioned here is the sharpening tool, and the second is, is that of a sword or knife whose blade is being sharpened and being ready for battle because of the first piece of iron. And this is what it means to be a friend. But the second line reads, literally, and one man sharpens the face of his friend. So if you read that, it'd be, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens the face of his friend. This is actually a 10th century pun. And I could hear you all laughing out there, right? You're like, Haha, I get it. I know you probably don't, but that's okay. I'm going to tell you, 10th century pun. The working edge of the sword or knife was called the face. So what the author is saying is the friend being sharpened shows his face. A friend makes himself available for sharpening. A faithful friend makes himself or herself available to be sharpened so that it becomes easy to sharpen one another. It's not hard. It's not difficult. You don't have to pray about it for two months and have the conversation. A faithful friend, it's easy to say, you know what, hey, I... 
I just noticed something. I wanted to share it with you. I, I wondered if you were going down this path. Is this something we should pray about? A faithful friend can say that. Because the other person is not going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Please don't. They're still going to call you back the day after you say something hard. A faithful friend is going to be someone who asks, hey, where do you think I need to grow? A faithful friend is going to want you to continue when you start to say something hard. Say, no, no, please tell me. Please tell me, this might be something I really need to hear to grow in my life in godliness and in wisdom. It's that kind of friend who is willing to show his face or show her face towards being sharpened. So if you've never felt any resistance in a friendship, that person might be a companion, they might be an acquaintance, they might be a brother or sister in Christ, but they're not yet friends. Be a faithful friend. Now before we kind of end with this, there's still a problem to be had with friendship. actually two problems with friendship. For, I address one of them at first, right? Either we don't have a friend that we want or we aren't yet the friend we want to be. Either we don't have the friend we want and there's no friendship retreat to sign up and get a guaranteed friend <laughs> or we're not yet the friend we want to be. And God has a solution. There is only one always faithful friend like this who empowers you to become the kind of friend you've always wanted to be. So turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. That's going to be on page 772 if you want to use one of the Bibles we provided, and you're going to need a Bible. Find it on your phone if you need to. John, chapter 15, page 772 if you're using one of the Bibles we provided. We're going to start reading in verse 12. John 15, again, starting in verse 12. Jesus says this to people who are his disciples, who are about to hear that they're going to be called something else. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's not what Jesus says here. This is the God of the universe, Mike. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus exhibits all the characteristics of the faithful friend for Proverbs. First of all, Jesus sticks with you through thick and thin. So Jesus appears to his disciples during their hour of adversity, during, during their despair, showing that he is, in fact, resurrected from death. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just stop in the moment of adversity. He actually, we see later in John's gospel, he appears again. Having risen from the dead, he shows up one morning to have breakfast on a beach with his friends. And, and because he's not a foul friend or a frustrating friend, he brings something along for the breakfast. He provides all the fish to eat that morning. In other words, this is the kind of friend we have in Jesus, one who is with us at all times. So if you love painting or creating, Jesus shows up there through his Holy Spirit. If, if, if you love diving or paddleboarding, Jesus shows up there. If you love cooking, eating, running, jumping, kicking, or just having a good breakfast, Jesus is there. He's with you at all times, and so he is the friend we want, who can fill us with life and purpose, so we are ready to give, not take. With human friendship, we want to find it, but when we have Jesus, we're no longer that empty cup looking to be filled by it. We can be the friend, and so we can have friends. So, Jesus is with you through thick and thin. Jesus also shares his secrets, right? This is remarkable. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from the Father, I've made known to you. The divine counsel 
God forever. Everything the Father is passed on to the Son, Jesus is passed on to us. If you want to know how to have life, real life starting now, Jesus has told us the plan to trust in him, and you'll pass from death to life, John 5, 24. If you want to persuade other people towards this life, because you want them to have life too, Jesus tells us the plan. Share the good news that I've shared with you. If you want to learn how to talk to God, he's taught us that secret and has given us a helper to help carry that conversation along. Jesus, then, is, is, that, is the general who divulges secret counsel to help us win the battle over, over sin, over temptation, over our common enemy, Satan, and the lies he spreads. Jesus is that general coming and saying, okay, here's the plan. Here's what I know. Here's how you're going to defeat it. That's the friend we have in Jesus. And Jesus makes it easy for you to become better. Here's perhaps the best news of all. Jesus makes it easy for you to become better. In these verses, right, Jesus makes it pretty clear how to be his friends. You could, you're going to be my friend if you do what I command you. Okay, so what does he command? We see that in verse 12. This is my commandment, love one another. These are easy instructions to understand, right? Hard to do. Hard to do. I so often make excuses and rationalize away why I don't need to be there for a friend. Maybe I put off a text message or just say, ah, Instead of openness and honesty, I tend to a lot of times just close myself off so there are no bumps in the roads, making it hard for someone else to give me counsel so that I can grow. My my love begins to grow cold oftentimes in friendships. That's sometimes the friend I am, but it's not the friend I want to be. So to review, Jesus tells us how to be his friend. We don't do that very well. We don't love like a true friend. I can't do it, but Jesus makes being his friend possible and empowers us to become the kind of friend we want to be. How do I know that? Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. How does Jesus' sacrifice, his ultimate sacrifice on the cross, help me become the friend I've always wanted to be? Because you think I become a better friend by becoming more disciplined, about being thoughtful, working harder at showing love, but that's not it at all. It's not the blood, sweat, and tears. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells us the secret to loving anyone, to be empowered to love anyone, including a friend. In Luke 7, a woman who has lived an obviously sinful life walks into a room with Jesus. She begins to cry over his feet and clean his feet with her hair and her tears. The other man in the room, Jesus' host, is a man who sins less obviously. So Jesus tells him a little parable. He says, Simon, there's two people who owed a money lender a certain amount of money. And the money lender decided to forgive both people. One person owed two months' salary. The other person owed two years of salary. And he forgave them both. Now, which person will love the money lender more? And Simon responds, well, obviously the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And he pointed to this woman, and he said, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. Listen to this. But he who has for- been, been forgiven little, loves little. He who has been forgiven little can love little. The way that you begin to love isn't by setting goals, getting more discipline, charting your behavior, working harder, making sacrificial decisions. You begin to love by being forgiven more, by returning to the cross of Jesus Christ more. Jesus has made it as easy as possible to return to the place where he has proved his love for you and where forgiveness is available without limit his cross at the foot of Calvary. 
And as you, as you experience and visit the cross more and, and his love becomes more impressed on you, you begin to see his patience towards you even though you've messed up yet again. You begin to see, see his ongoing tenderness towards you even when you have a hardened heart and you're bringing nothing to the table but your sin. You see his faithful friendship towards you despite your unfaithfulness and you'll be empowered with thanksgiving to love freely and strengthen to become the friend you want to be through the cross of our most faithful friend of all. King Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for wisdom through your word, for being the kind of friend we, we, we want to be. We want to be the kind of friend who, who sticks closer than a brother, who sticks with people who thick and thin, loves at all times. We want to be the kind of friend not to others that, that is safe, safe to talk about hard things. We want to be the kind of friend also, Lord, who makes the other person better, makes it easy for them to speak, it makes it easy for, for, for us to speak, Lord, who offers the, their face to be sharpened, and we offer our face to be sharpened. We want this kind of growing relationship focused on growing in you, but we confess, God, that we have fallen short of being that kind of friend, that we haven't loved the way we're supposed to love, our love has grown cold, that we haven't been there as often as we need to be, that we haven't received criticism well, Lord, nor have we dished it out with love. We're so grateful, Jesus, you have been the friend to us. What a friend we have in Jesus. And through the cross, we get the faithful friend we want and become, we can become the faithful friend we've always wanted to be. Help us keep returning to the cross every day of our lives and in every situation. Remember what you've done for us at Calvary. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.